So over the past few weeks, we've been in the midst of our series on God's plan for our well-being. Uh, this week, for me, honestly, has been a really tricky and emotional week. Um, I can't share all the reasons from up here um, due to sort of the, the live stream and the currentness of what's going on um, with um, some people in my family. Um, but sometimes things happen that are completely out of your control and impact your well-being and your emotions. Um, this week, this significant and really quite sad family thing that has happened in my life um, and is happening should and has really impacted my sense of well-being. And that, that's right. Um, sometimes there are things that happen that should impact us and should have an effect on us. And that's okay. That's why we are talking about well-being um, and why it's important for us to talk about together. When we are aware of our well-being and actively putting things in place to help us, um, we have resilience for when things go wrong or the difficult parts of life hit us. When there's an unexpected curveball. And it's why this topic and this series is so important, because God cares about every single part of who we are. Not just our spiritual well-being, but every element of our well-being. Um, this week, I've had plenty of moments where I have felt overwhelming emotions. Um, but my relationship with God, but also my relationship with friends and family, um, have helped me really take care of myself this week. We've been covering a range of different topics that are all so important for us, from our mindset, our physical well-being, emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, and a few more coming up. This week, I am focusing on our relational well-being and why it's so important and the things we can put in place to help us be intentional about it. So let's pray together before I get stuck in. Father, we thank you so much that you care about every aspect of who we are, that you care about what's going on in our weeks and in our lives. We thank you and we pray that you'd help us to listen to the things you have to say to us this morning um, about all areas of who we are and our well-being. Amen. Amen. So why does relational well-being matter? Well, I'm going to turn to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 2.18, we read that the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This foundational passage to this message really highlights God's intention for us to live in community and with other people. We read in the creation story the close relationship that God had with Adam and they walked together in the cool of the garden. But God alone, it seems, was not enough for Adam. God knew that he made us for relationships with him but also with other people. Sometimes when we talk about relationships, when I say that word, you might think that I'm talking solely about a partner or a spouse, but I'm, I'm using it to apply much broader than that um, when we're talking about relational well-being. And it's about finding closeness with other people, that basic human interaction and connection. We're created for community, and there's something intrinsically within all of us, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, that yearns and needs relationships with other people. God created us for community, and he cares about our relationships with each other. When Julian and I go on long drives, it sometimes feels like uh, Julian likes to play a game that I'm going to affectionately, of course, uh, refer to here as how far can we go without filling the car up? Uh, picture this, we're travelling um, up or down the M1, and the sat-nav so states something ridiculous like stay on the M1 for 124 miles, um, and suddenly, usually a few hours into the drive, uh, Julian becomes quite fixated on the number on the sat-nav and a particular number on the dashboard. 
he seems to be on a mission to align these two numbers as closely as possible, all in a quest to delay our inevitable pit stop at the petrol station. Now, don't get me wrong, I am all for a bit of an adventure, but there have been moments where I have found myself silently praying for a petrol station to materialise miraculously on the horizon, um, only to be met with disappointment when none appear. Has anyone else ever experienced something similar on a road trip? You don't have to snitch anyone up. Um, but people in this room might have a friend or a spouse or someone they know, maybe even yourself, uh, who likes to play this game. Now, I must admit that, and add that this is a much less commonly played game than when Julie and I were a bit younger. Um, but the point of sharing the story is that sometimes there are parallels between this kind of game and how I think we sometimes approach our relational well-being. Just as Julian has occasionally pushed uh, the limit of our fuel gauge and our fuel tank, I think sometimes we can push the limits when it comes to our relational tanks too. Our relationships with others, our loved ones, friends, family and community are really important. They provide us with support, love and connection, especially when we face unexpected or really difficult situations. We don't just spend time with people when we really need community, right? We need to consistently and intentionally refuel our relational tanks often. Now, different people have different size tanks, for sure. Some people in this room, I'm sure, could be social around people 24-7 if sleep was not something you needed. Whereas others of us, and myself included in this, sometimes need a balance of time with people and alone. That's okay. But we do all need others. So what happens when we neglect our relational well-being? When we fail to address the needs we have, particularly when it comes to relationships, we can find ourselves ending up feeling depleted and isolated and disconnected. We fail to pay attention, perhaps, to those kind of warning lights that we might feel. And we can end up a little bit like an empty, stranded car with no reserves to sustain us. To take the analogy a little bit further, we're perhaps unprepared for that moment that our life gets rerouted unexpectedly. We can lack the reserves that we need to be resilient. A few weeks ago, I preached on the story of Elijah and how in his story we see a successful and faith-filled man hit the point of complete and utter burnout. If you don't know the story and you missed that week, you can read all about it in 1 Kings chapters 17 to 19 and a little bit later in 2 Kings chapters 1 and 2. But I'm going to jump it back into the story in 1 Kings 19 verses 3 to 5 where it says this. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Whilst he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. In this passage, we're jumping in where Elijah is at his lowest point, fleeing from his responsibilities and seeking complete solace in isolation. If you note know, in that verse, he leaves his servant behind and withdraws himself into the wilderness, consumed by despair and exhaustion. Much like Elijah in his moment of burnout and stress and despair, we might find ourselves in those moments isolating from others, retreating into our own kind of emotional wilderness when life doesn't go as planned or we feel overwhelmed. 
That might sound familiar. Now, I don't need anyone in the room to indicate to me, but many of us may have experienced moments where we've hit that rock bottom moment, feeling overwhelmed by the weight of responsibilities, perhaps the pressure of life, something unexpected. Perhaps at some point, some of us have retreated into isolation, convinced that we can handle it all on our own. But the beautiful thing about Elijah's story is that it didn't and doesn't end in isolation. It ends with God meeting Elijah in that wilderness, providing him with the strength and the sustenance he needed for his journey ahead. And in the same way, God does and will meet us in our moments of need, offering us the nourishment and the support we need to refuel our relational tanks. And sometimes that support comes through other people, our friends and our family. This morning, as we're reflecting on our relational well-being, I want us to keep Elijah's story in the back of our minds and remember the importance of friendship and community to our relationships. Let's not wait till we're running on complete empty before we address the needs, but let's try and be proactive and intentional about nurturing them. And remember that even in our moments where we, want, where we do isolate ourselves or withdraw, that God is still with us and he's ready to refresh us and guide us towards relational wholeness. Our world changes very quickly, doesn't it? And in our world at the moment, the prevalence of loneliness and isolation is really quite a big thing. Um, I was looking at some statistics from the Office of National Statistics, um, and in a study in 2022, nearly half of adults in the UK reported feeling lonely, either occasionally, sometimes, often, or always. They paint a, a real picture of the challenges that we face in our society. The impact of loneliness and isolation on mental and emotional health can't be overstated. There are studies that show the physical effects of social isolation, increasing levels of stress, anxiety, depression, contributing to conditions like heart disease and our immune system. There's a real impact on our lives. Has anyone in the room ever seen the film Castaway? I'm sure it'll be a few people, absolutely. For those that haven't, it stars Tom Hanks, who plays a character called Chuck, a FedEx executive. Um, he finds himself on a plane um, en route to Malaysia, where his plane crashes um, over the Pacific Ocean in a storm. He's the only survivor. He's washed ashore on a desert island, and he tries desperately to seek help and escape, but can't. And he learns how to survive. He remains on that island alone for years. And in the film, he finds a volleyball, paints a face on it, and calls it Wilson. And in an attempt to remain grounded in some form of relationship, he tries desperately to reconcile that loneliness. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched the film, but there comes a point in the film where he loses Wilson and cries out desperately for him. Sometimes in our lives, we or those around us are perhaps crying out for a Wilson. Not a painted volleyball, but a friend. In light of some of the statistics and the effect that loneliness has on us, it's really important that we think about the connections we need. We're created for community, designed to thrive in relationships with one another. As followers of Christ, we're called to love one another and to bear each other's burdens. And it extends beyond our church walls to encompass all of our relationships. I think acknowledging the need for community is like the first step really towards combating that loneliness and isolation that we might feel. 
We need to seek out opportunities for connection, both within our church communities, but the wider world as well. Whether it's reaching out to a friend in need, joining a small group or volunteering on a team, or simply just being present, every effort we make to get to know people better and build connections make a difference for us and for others. God really cares about our relationships with each other. Throughout scripture, we see God's heart for community and relationship. From the very beginning, God declared it was not good for man to be alone. And throughout history, he's consistently calling his people throughout the Bible to live in unity with one another. As we embrace this um, divine mandate for connection, I think that's when we really see God's love working through us. Following Jesus is meant to be done together in genuine community with each other. So what does healthy relationships between our churches and people within our church look like? Paul, one of the key writers of the New Testament, has quite a lot to say about how we should relate to one another. His letters to the early Christian communities offer incredible wisdom and insight into the dynamics of what relational health looks like. And I think it's really important for us to look at that today. I'm going to draw attention particularly to a passage in Colossians, in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 13. And Paul presents us in this verse with a bit of a blueprint for healthy relationships within church and beyond. He writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we're just going to spend a few moments unpacking that together and gleaning some insight as to what this could look like. Paul begins by reminding us of our identity as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This truth serves as the real foundation upon our relationships um, are built. When we recognize and embrace our identity in Christ and who he says we are, it transforms the way that we interact with one another. We're called to clothe ourselves with qualities listed, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Virtues that I believe really do lie at the heart of healthy relationships. Imagine a church or even a world where these things flow freely, where compassion abounds, where kindness is evident, where humility and gentleness are at the heart of all interactions. It's a community where patience is extended, where people are celebrated and freedom reigns supreme. This is the vision that Paul paints for us in this verse, and it's a vision of a church united in love and grace, embodying the very essence of Jesus' character. Now, Sutton Vineyard is a church full of people who I know embody so many of these characteristics, but no one and no church gets it right all the time. And the more we can move towards living out the values um, that Paul talks about, I think the healthier we will be. Another analogy that has really helped me when thinking about relationships is that of a relational bank account. Now, when, I hear the t- when we hear the word bank account, our minds might jump to thoughts of um, financial transactions, ATMs, deposits, withdrawals. But the relational bank account off- operates on a slightly different level, but can be a helpful way to think about each relationship we have in our lives. So I'm going to ask if Julian's around, if he can come and help me for a moment. Give Julian a round of applause. He's got a long walk. I'm going to ask Julian to help me with this illustration. Um, Imagine for a moment that each of our relationships, whether that's with friends, families, colleagues, or even acquaintances, is a little bit like a bank account. 
And just like a financial bank account, our relational bank account also deals with deposits and withdrawals. Although I just want to note that we're not talking about like monetary transactions, but emotional investments that we might make. Now, when I talk about deposits in the relational bank, I was going to have some coins here, um, but no one actually carries cash anymore, so you have to just imagine. Um, we could be referring to... Oh, you found some? Oh, we've got... Okay, imaginary money. Um, we could be referring to a whole host of things. It could be a positive action, gesture, such as I could pick up Julian a bag of jerky on the way home from Tesco's, um, which makes a deposit. Or it could be an encouraging word, an expression of love, um, or going above and beyond to do something to help, like doing a chore that is usually Julian's, like, I don't know, I could put the bins out, that would be an ex expression of love. Um, <laughs> these deposits could take a whole host of different forms. It could be an act of kindness, encouragement, support, or simply being there for one another. Every time we extend a hand of friendship, um, lend a listening ear, or offer a word of affirmation, we're making a deposit into that account. But as well as deposits, there could also be withdrawals in our relational bank account. But it gets a bit interesting, because in a financial context, we often see withdrawals as quite a negative thing that deplete the account. But not all deposits from a relational bank account are necessarily the result of negative actions. Sometimes they can be. I could get really cross at Julian and say something really mean. Uh, we could have an argument. But also, withdrawals happen naturally as part of the ebb and flow of relationships. For example, um, Julian might be going through something really difficult and need extra support from me, which might take a bit of a withdrawal from my emotional reserve to give to him. Um, and that can feel a bit like a withdrawal, but that's not a bad thing. The point of relationships is that it's an ebb and flow between two people. Similarly, there might be relationships in your, in your life where healthy boundaries and honest communication actually might be really necessary to assert our needs and prioritise our self-care in those situations too. The key thing I want to say is that not all withdrawals are harmful or detrimental. In fact, some really do deepen our relationships with one another. The moments where we go through something difficult together or help someone through something can build relationships, even if it feels like a withdrawal. I particularly like this analogy um, because it reminds me to be intentional about my friendships and relationships. Just as we wouldn't ex expect our, relational sav our financial savings to grow without regularly putting money in the bank account, we can't expect our relationships to thrive without consistent acts of love and kindness and support. Thank you, Julian. You can sit down now. Thank you. Round of applause. <laughs> now, there, there may be some types of relationships in our life where we do give more and they deplete us, or we do gain more than we give, and that's perfectly acceptable and okay, as long as we don't have the majority of our relationships functioning in this way. We need to have a balanced approach to giving and receiving. And someone who can sometimes find it a little bit harder to receive support from others, it helps me to recognise the value that of healthy withdrawals and that they foster further connection and deepen relationships, as well as the need to be generous with each other. Relationships are a dynamic thing, and occasional withdrawals are a part of the give and take of relationships. But by maintaining relationships, awareness of that and striving to keep them in balance. It can help us have really healthy relationships with one another. 
Back to Colossians, Paul doesn't stop at simply listing values that are important for healthy relationships. He goes on to emphasize the importance of bearing with one another and extending forgiveness. The church is such a diverse and ever-changing place. And conflicts and disagreements are inevitable where there are more than a few people gathered. Yet Paul urges us to approach these with grace and humility, choosing to forgive as the Lord forgives us. Forgiveness is not always easy. It requires vulnerability, humility, and a willingness to let go of hurts and grievances. But it's essential for us to be healthy together. Please also don't hear what I'm not saying. Forgiveness is not the brushing over or ignoring of wrongs. There are times when it's really important to put boundaries in place and escalate concerns. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we ignore those. But when we choose to forgive one another, it creates space for healing. It creates space for reconciliation and for restoration. We, tr- we demonstrate the transformative power of God's grace that is at work in our lives. Paul's suggestion to bear with one another speaks of the importance of creating a culture of support and unity within our community. Life can be messy. We all face trials. We all face struggles along the way. But when we come together and support one another, We share in each other's joys and successes, but also support through the difficult times. We embody what it really means to be a church and to demonstrate the love and compassion of Christ to each other. Church should be a place where no one walks alone, where burdens are shared and support is given. It's a community where we set aside our masks and we genuinely connect with one another. It's the kind of community that I think Paul envisioned in this passage. One where well-being is really prioritised and the love of Christ shines brightly. So that's what healthy relationship looks like within the church. But I I believe that the church also has something to demonstrate to the world around us. That our call to love one another and to bear each other's burdens applies to every aspect of our lives, even if those people are perhaps not in our church. Whether that's our friends and families, our workplaces or interactions with other people. The foundation of our relational well-being, I think, lies in the reflecting the love of Christ in everything we do. Our goal should be to embody the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience that Paul describes. By extending that forgiveness and bearing with one another, we do create an environment where grace and love flourishes. Practically speaking, relational health outside of church and even within church actually involves an awful lot of intentional effort and a willingness to prioritize connection when life is busy. Sometimes that looks like scheduling regular time in. I know even um, with me and Julian we have to sometimes diary time together because it's really important and we want to prioritize it but that can also apply to friendships. Actively listening to people, trying to understand people's perspectives Listening and understanding someone's perspective doesn't mean we have to agree with it, um, but it's being a listening ear. To offer support and encouragement, but also to set healthy boundaries when they need to be set and communicating openly and honestly to maintain those relationships. I'm going to invite the worship team back up now as I come to a close. Um, But I would just like to ask us a question a question to ponder for a few moments and are you running on empty like the fuel tank that we talked about at the beginning are there moments where you allow yourself to come too close to empty 
do you risk running out on your relational tank? As on the odd occasion, Julian has left it a little bit too close to top up the car. Just as we need to keep our fuel tank topped up to stop us being stranded on the roadside, we must we've got to take care of our relational tanks too. Are we investing in our relationships, making regular deposits of love, kindness and support? Or are we running on empty, neglecting the our relational well-being until we find ourselves a little bit stranded? The analogy of the fuel tank is a reminder that relationships require intentional care and maintenance. Just as we wouldn't expect our car to run regularly without regularly refueling it or by taking it to be serviced, we can't expect our relationships to thrive without consistent investment too. So ha have a ponder on that question. Are there areas in your life where you need to make more deposits? Are there relationships where forgiveness and reconciliation are perhaps needed? If you're running on empty, what steps could you take today to refuel that relational tank? And maybe you're here and you don't feel like your relational tank's empty. And that's brilliant. That's a really good place to be. But we still need to be intentional in making sure that it doesn't run to empty. Every act of kindness, word of encouragement, has the power to transform lives. It really does. And build bridges of connection. So if you're able to, please stand with me and I will pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of relationship and the opportunity to love one another as you have loved us. We pray for strength and wisdom to nurture healthy connections in our lives, both within our church and beyond. Help us to embody the values that Paul spoke of, of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience in all of our interactions. Grant us the grace to extend forgiveness and bear with one another in love. May our lives be a reflection of your love and grace, drawing others into deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>